Good morning, everyone. How are you? What joy to be uh, in the house of the Lord and praise his name together. We are Spanger family, Nico and my wife, Becca, and uh, we are here to welcome you and read the word. <clears throat> we work as uh, global workers with Wycliffe Bible translators, so we have the privilege of serving with our gifts and talents. We don't do the translations ourselves, but we work on fonts and other related software so everyone can have access to the word of God. We want all nations to join in the worship and, and praise God for who he is. Um. On behalf of all the global workers in the communities they serve, we thank you very much for your support um, in prayer and finances. Your involvement as a church body in God's mission has a lasting impact in many countries. And since we are privileged to have the word in our own language, let's read Joshua chapter 4, verses 20 to 24 together. It was there at Gilgal that Joshua piled up the 12 stones taken from the Jordan River. Then Joshua said to the Israelites, In the future, your children will ask, What do these stones mean? Then you can tell them, This is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes, and he kept it dry until you were all across, just as he did at the Red Sea when he dried it up until we had all crossed over. He did this so that all nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful and so that you might fear the Lord your God forever. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, your name is majestic over all the earth. One day, all nations will come to you and praise you for all the wonders you have done. Thank you for your word and all that we can learn from it. Thank you because you've revealed yourself and you have this beautiful story of redemption for everyone. Thank you for what the Bible tells us and how we, everything points us to Jesus, light of the nations. We have forgiveness and hope through him and his sacrifice on the cross. And that's for every nation on earth. Help us listen to your word today. Help us remember our memory sometimes fail. Help us remember how great and powerful you are so that it may inspire us to live our lives according to your will. And when our children ask us about you, help us answer, help us give us <clears throat> the words that will speak to them. Inspire us also to witness to others, may it be here or all the way to the ends of the earth. In your name, amen. There's a story about a river. The book of Joshua tells the story of a river that stood between God's people and their promised land, of God making a way where an impossible divide seemed inescapable. It tells a story of God's faithfulness to his people. It holds their commandment and our calling to never forget. Not a single foot, not one, was wet when God led the Israelites through the Jordan River and God gave Joshua instructions for how they should mark the place of the miracle. 12 stones for 12 tribes. 12 stones to remember because they, we simply forget even the greatest of miracles. And if we don't pass on the stories of God's faithfulness, how will the ones coming behind us know? God spoke. When your children ask you, what are these stones for you? You'll say, the flow of the Jordan was stopped in front of the chest of the covenant of God as 
across the Jordan, stopped in its tracks. These stones are a permanent memorial for the people of Israel. Then, thousands of years later, God parted the waters once and for all through Jesus. He parted the waters so that not one of our feet will get wet as we reach for the very face of our Savior. He has made a way. And so we sing from the edge of the deep to the dry stones ahead to remember. Every song a stone, every lyric a light cast on the author of it all. We mark the places where he's parted the waters. We sing loud for our children. We stack stones for the ones who will need strong foundations built by the ones who have gone before them. We remember now to recount it later to generations to come. We sing, great is his faithfulness. God, great is your faithfulness. Good turning your Bibles to Joshua chapter 4. Uh, we've been uh, hanging out in uh, the book of Joshua. It's the sixth book of the Bible uh, for the last few weeks. We'll spend the fall basically going chapter through chapter of this part of God's Word. Uh, and today we find ourselves in Joshua uh, 4. Uh, before we uh, hang out there, about, and the Scripture will be on the screen for those who might be newer. Uh, if you don't have the Scripture with you, then you can track along uh, that way. Uh, on this Labor Day weekend, I think it's good to, to think for a moment uh, what the point is of Labor Day. Uh, and it might appear obvious uh, to some, and, uh, and I'd like to add maybe uh, some deeper meaning uh, to it as well. Uh, in the late 1800s, uh, the idea uh, was put forth to have a day set aside during the year uh, that would celebrate the labor force in America, uh, and to celebrate uh, how working hard and working together uh, that it made the nation a great nation. Uh, and the day has been set. It's a day for us to remember uh, the value of work. Uh, and for us as Christians, I would say that uh, there's something underneath that value of labor and work, uh, and it's that God himself designed us that way, uh, that he designed things in such a way that we would work six days and rest on the seventh. That's his design for us. Uh, and I think it's interesting across time and in cultures that the more time we have in our hands, it seems to be the more trouble we find. Uh, and so I wonder if God's design is such even to help manage the trouble our broken hearts tend to lead us towards. Uh, but six days of work, God's the designer of the plan. Uh, and then I would say that as we think about Labor Day, that we think about the motivation for our work. And there are a number of motivations for our work. There's the motivation to make money so we can take care of our family. There's the motivation to make money so that we can do the fun things we want to do. There's the motivation to make money so we can give to be able to help where people need help. Uh, there's a number of motivations. Ultimately, though, Colossians 3.23 should be the motivator of our heart uh, as followers of Jesus. It says, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. And so the, the greatest motivation for our work as Christians is to work as if we're working for God. 
And when he's our reason and he's our motivator, when we're having bad days at work or we're not loving our job uh, or we are loving our job, regardless, always we can give it our best because it's our best for God today in our work. So whatever you do, do work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. And if I could add one more layer uh, to labor uh, and think about this in a different way uh, or another way. God has also invited us as followers of Jesus to labor for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of his name, for people to know him and for people to follow him and love him. So there are a number of ways when I think about Labor Day uh, that we can think about what this day reminds us of. Now, what does this have to do with Joshua chapter 4? I want us to think around a big idea of meaningful reminders in Joshua 4. And there have been days that have been set apart in our country to help us remember significant moments so we don't forget. Well, God has done the same thing. When there are meaningful moments in time, He invites us to create things that will be reminders of what it is that He's done. And we'll find that in Joshua chapter 4. The way we arrived at this spot, if you're newer in what we're doing, uh, at the beginning of Joshua, Moses had been the leader of the children of Israel for 40 plus years. Now he's died and it's next. Who's up next? Joshua has been prepared to be the leader. Joshua is next. He's in line to be the leader. God reasserts to him that he's promised a land for the people, and Joshua will be the one to deliver them into that land. In Joshua 1, 8, and 9, I've encouraged you to memorize these two verses. It's the theme of Joshua. It says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it. Then you'll have success, and then you'll make your way prosperous. Have I not commanded you? Be strong, courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That will resonate and ring through all of Joshua. In chapter 2, we find an unlikely person that God uses to assure his people that the land is theirs. He chooses a harlot uh, to be a part of his redemptive plan, uh, which is incredibly hopeful for all of us today that God takes the most unlikely and broken of people and they become significant parts of what he's doing. In chapter 3, they've come to the Jordan River. It's flood season. The river is running strong. There's no way to get across it apart from a miracle. God says what he'll do. He causes the water to stand up in a heap about 20 miles up. Then 2 million plus people cross on dry ground on that Jordan River that God has stopped. That brings us into chapter 4. And there are moments in time where God does things so significant in our lives or in the lives of a community of people that he simply says, pause and worship and build a memorial because we don't want to forget this moment. And we do have tendencies to forget. And God has given us a way through meaningful reminders to remember those significant moments and things he's done 
which encourages our hearts for what God will do in the future as well. At the end of our time today, we'll take the Lord's Supper. And I say this in part for those who are online, uh, that you can be prepared for whatever you might have that could serve as the elements for the broken body and the shed blood of Christ. Uh, And this is one of the more meaningful reminders uh, that we can be a part of as a community of faith. uh, And we'll do that at the end of our time. And maybe even listen to how what happens in Joshua points us to what we're to do to remember what Christ did for us. There's four things that I see in chapter four that help us know what meaningful reminders are. And the first thing I would say is they're personal. They've been experienced, and when it's been experienced and it's personal, then it becomes meaningful. Let's anchor ourselves to the scripture in chapter four, verse one through 10. Now, when all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, and this is the pattern we see all through Joshua, by the way. Joshua is somehow spending time with God and God speaks to him and lets him know what he's to do next. And then Joshua brings it to the people and says, this is what God's saying. And then we need to celebrate today what's happening in chapters three and four and really chapters one and two. Because so often in the scriptures, we're talking about failures and disobedience, but they're obeying God right now. And all kinds of good things are happening because they are. And these are actually chapters we just say, okay, this is really cool. This is what happens when we get in behind what God is saying to do. And he says in verse 2, take for yourselves 12 men from the people, one man from each tribe. And this is the beauty of a book study. In chapter 3, verse 12, we saw that, that God told him to take for yourselves 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one man for each tribe. So he'd already said to them, select a representative from the 12 tribes which comprise the nation Israel. And now he's about to tell these 12 men what it is they're going to do. Why have they been selected? Verse 3, they're commanded saying, take up for yourselves 12 stones from here out of the middle of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet are standing firm, and carry them over with you and lay them down in the lodging place where you will lodge tonight. Now they're understanding their task. They're to take 12 stones from the middle of the river. And the priests are standing in the middle on the dry ground of the Jordan River where God is holding the water. The Ark of the Covenant that represents the presence of God is with them. And now these 12 men uh, are going to go back into the water where they're standing to take and get stones that they're to stack. But we want to note here, The priests are standing firm. Whenever I read in Scripture that phrase of stand firm, it gives me a pause. The priests are trusting God to hold the water. And they have the Ark of the Covenant with them and the presence of God among them. And they're standing firm on dry ground. In 1 Peter 5.12, at the very end of that letter that Peter writes, he encourages those who are following him to stand firm in the true grace of God. The place where our feet can stand firm today in a really shaky world is in the grace of God at the foot of the cross. 
under what Jesus has done on our behalf. Our ground is firm and solid at the foot of the cross. And we rest in the waters of his grace. Stand firm. We can be like the priests. Stand firm in the grace of God. So Joshua called the 12 men whom he'd appointed from the sons of Israel, one man from each tribe. And he said to them in verse 5, Cross again to the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. And each of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Israel. He's chosen 12 of them. There's 12 tribes. You're to take 12 stones. Uh, They weren't to pick little pebbles or little rocks. They had to carry the stones on their shoulder. They were big rocks. And they were about to have a memorial and a reminder of what it it is God had just done. And they were going to stack some big rocks to make sure nobody forgot what it is that God did. I don't know about you, but from a trust factor, they've already trusted that God would be true to what he said. He's got the water held, the ground is dry. Everybody's come across. Got to feel good about things. We're on the other side. Now 12 guys have to go back in. I'm sure they trusted, but how often do we see God do something amazing in our lives? And 10 minutes later, we're fearful again. We already forgot he did this, and now we're kind of scared to do this. You might be be wondering, I wonder when he's going to let that water go. But they trusted. And they come back in on the dry ground in the middle of the Jordan to get the stones. Verse 6, now we're told why. Let this be a sign among you so that when your children ask later, saying, what do these stones mean to you? This is a fantastic question. These stones are going to be set up as a reminder, a memorial. It'll be meaningful. And it's to stoke the curiosity of their kids. So that when their kids see these stacked stones, they're going to ask, Hey, Dad, what's that mean to you? Don't miss that part of the question. Not what does this mean? What does it mean to you? It's a meaningful reminder because it's personal. So what does it mean to you? What if I were to walk into your home or to your office or your classroom or got in your car? What are reminders that are in those places that would stoke curiosity in me? And I would say, what does that mean to you? Not just why is that in there. What does it mean to you? Reminders are meaningful when they're personal. What does it mean to you? Well, God's gracious. He just lays out for them what to say when the children ask the question. You should say to them, verse 7, because the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall become a memorial to the sons of Israel for how long? Forever. We don't ever want to forget 
what God has just done in cutting off the waters of the Jordan River so that two million plus can walk across. Verse 8, thus the sons of Israel did as Joshua commanded. Don't, don't you love it when your children just, they just do what you say? It's just so much more pleasant when it rolls that way. So they did it. God said this, Joshua relayed it. They said, okay. So they took up the 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan. Just as the Lord spoke to Joshua, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Israel, and they carried them over with them to the lodging place and put them down there. They've come out of the water, or out of the, off the dry ground, of the Jordan River. They've taken them to the place where they're to take them, the stones. Verse 9. Verse 9 is actually, a, there's debate around verse 9. And I'm not going to be able to answer the debate today. I'm, I'm going to leave this one for you. Uh, and it's because I couldn't land it myself. So it's not, I'm not ducking anything. I'm just being honest. I, I, don't, I don't know. Then Joshua set up 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan at the place where the feet of the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant were standing. And they're there to this day. Here's the debate. Did God ask them to set up two stacks of stones? In verse 9, it would sure seem that they were to take 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan on the dry ground, and then when the water flows over it, you're not going to be able to see those stones, but there's a reminder in the middle of the river. And clearly there will be a reminder on dry ground. So is there two or is there one? Wherever you land it, the point is it's to be a memorial forever to remember what God did in stopping up the river so they could cross. Verse 10, For the priests who carried the ark were standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything was completed, that the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people. According to all that Moses had commanded, Joshua and the people hurried and crossed. I don't know about you, I would have hurried as well. Make sure and get across. Now, what are meaningful reminders for you, what are those things that are personal, that are either in your, found it, wherever, your home, wherever I've talked about, what are those? Well, I started looking in my, for me, as I studied this week, what are those things for me? And I realized afresh that I've got them all on my desk. Uh, we don't have offices here, so our offices are at home. And, and in my office, on my desk, uh, I have uh, a number of things that are meaningful reminders for me. And one of those, and you can't see it, but I, I gave it a shot. It's a picture of my wife praying in the Garden of Gethsemane in 2019. And it is one of my favorite pictures of my wife. Now, I should have been praying also, but instead I took a picture of her praying. <laughs> but my wife has an incredibly intimate relationship with Christ. She's substantive in who she is. And she is a praying woman. And I just love looking at that picture on my windowsill. And I'm just grateful to God that he give me a wife who loves God so deeply and prays 
so intimately. And this is a meaningful reminder for me. I've had that picture there since 2019. And then I also have a picture of seven men that are in my life, that have been in my life for a long time. It's some in my family, some friends. And probably 12, 15 years ago, we actually, actually be 15 years ago because Barrett was 13. We were at a men's retreat together. It's the only time that I can remember that these seven guys, that we were in the same place. And I've just cherished this picture ever since. Because these are men that God's put in my life, among many others, that love God deeply, that challenge me, hold me accountable, and that I've done life with almost my whole Christian life. And it just reminds me every day of God's graciousness in giving me these men in my life. And then the third thing that I took that was very personal is this bracelet that's a Fishers of Men kind of bracelet. And my brother Lloyd uh, died of COVID in 2020. And he's one of the boldest, unapologetic followers of Jesus I've known. He didn't cross his path with getting something without getting something about Jesus. Well, these bracelets he would buy, and I think they're fairly costly, but he would buy them and wear them, and if you asked him about it, he would tell you about Jesus, take the bracelet off, and give it to you. And then he'd just go buy more, and kept giving them away. Now, somehow, I, didn't man- I managed not to get one from him. But Jay Purchase in our church, he's a great friend of Lloyd's, and right after Lloyd died, he got me this. So I, I keep this on my desk as a reminder, a meaningful reminder of my brother, but not just my brother, but that I will never waver in sharing Jesus with somebody else, and that I would be as bold as he was in doing the same. What are meaningful reminders for you? Significant things that have happened that you have visual reminders of what it is that God did and that it spurs you on as you move ahead. So when we think about meaningful reminders, let's think about the fact that they are personal. The second thing I would say about reminders, if they're meaningful, is they're unifying. We often think individually, but God has designed us as a community. And when we think about Joshua, it's communal. This, this promise is for all of them. It's not just Joshua. It's, it's for all of them. And, and it's unifying when we have reminders uh, that speak to what God's done for the community. Uh, verse 11, And when all the people had finished crossing the ark of the Lord and the priests crossed before the people, the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over in battle array before the sons of Israel, just as Moses had spoken to them. And about 40,000 were equipped for war. They crossed for battle before the Lord to the desert plains of Jericho. What's happening here? All the people crossed. They're unified in this. It's a unified effort. All of them are crossing. Two and a half of the tribes, their land is actually on the east side of the Jordan River. They don't have to cross the Jordan River to get the land they were promised. 
But this is a unified effort to take all of the land that God's given them. So they're unified in their effort. Verse 14, on that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel so that they revered him just as they had revered Moses all the days of his life. In Joshua 3, 7, God had promised he would exalt Joshua. Why? So the, the whole group of people would know that God was with him and God was the one delivering the land. There are unified people behind the leader that God has chosen for them and they're moving in the direction that God has called for them. Verse 15, now the Lord said to Joshua, command the priests who carry the ark of the testimony that they come up from the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests come up from the Jordan. It came about when the priests who carried the ark of the covenant, the Lord had come up from the middle of the Jordan. The soles of the priests' feet were lifted up to the dry ground that the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and went over all its banks as before. God is a sovereign God. He caused the waters to stop. The priest stood firm in the middle with the Ark of the Covenant. The people cross. They come back in, get the 12 stones to stack and build the memorial, the reminder. Now it's time for the priest to come off the dry ground onto the dry ground that is dry ground. That'll stay that way. That last priest steps and here come the waters. God's timing's perfect. They trusted, took the step of faith, and the waters come rushing down. I wonder if they just stood there and looked at that for a minute, just in awe of God. Wow, did y'all just see that? He really did it. He stopped it. As soon as we're out, they're flowing. There's no other way. This was a unified effort. They were all working together. They were all laboring together in following after God. And when there's a unified effort, amazing things happen. When it's the unity God calls for. What are those kinds of things that help us to think about meaningful reminders that are unifying? We, we live in a fractured country. That's not new news to anybody. There are more layers of division than we can shake a stick at. And yet, there are a number of people who are attempting to bring about unity. And the attempts to bring about unity are good. It's just none of them will work. That attempt was made by Abraham Lincoln. And we have a memorial. If we Washington, D.C., you're going to find a number of memorials that help us understand the history of our nation. Abraham gave it a shot. A number of things going on in the Civil War. But at least one major piece of that was to free slaves. 
And there was an attempt to unify, whether everyone would agree with that or not, to unify the nation and give freedom to everyone. And that's a reminder for us. Sixty years ago, on August 28th, this past Monday, 1963, Martin Luther King stood in front of the Lincoln Memorial, in front of 250,000 people, and read his I Have a Dream speech, where he too was attempting to unify a nation around this idea that he has a dream that one day we'd be a nation that did not judge people by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. A few years ago, on Martin Luther King's the de- the 50th anniversary of his death, I was in Memphis, Tennessee. And the Lorraine Motel is where he was assassinated. And the National Civil Rights Museum is now at that motel. I, I have to tell you, the two most meaningful museums I've ever been to are the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C., in the National Civil Rights Museum in Memphis, Tennessee. I just think they did a phenomenal job there. But they help us to remember their meaningful reminders of unifying attempts or efforts. But I said, when we think about unifying, we can try to unify around all kinds of things. The only place where genuine and true unity will ever come is at the foot of the cross. That's the one place where we will come and we have a a shot at unity. So while there are many attempts made, the place where it will actually occur will come when the hearts of people are changed and we're unified at the foot of the cross. Right now we have a unifying effort and it's going to be memorialized by a stack of stones. But there's a third word, I think, that's crucial when we think about meaningful reminders, and it's they're generational. They're personal, they're unifying, and they're generational. Verse 19, now the people came up from the Jordan on the 10th of the first month. They camped at Gilgal on the eastern edge of Jericho. These are the kind of verses in Scripture that we sometimes move past. But This is important. The 10th day that's described here, if we go back to the Exodus and when the Passover happened, this is the same day that the children of Israel selected the innocent, one-year-old, unblemished lamb that would be sacrificed four days later. So the same time that they would come and emerge out of the Jordan River is the same time that the Passover lamb was selected. Gilgal was on the eastern edge of Jericho. This was strategic. They'd come across the Jordan River. The river's now behind them. So nobody can come across that way. They're protected that way. Gilgal, they see nothing but plains. So they can see if anyone's coming towards them to attack. And so that's their base of operations is Gilgal. And it's there uh, that these 12 stones, verse 20, had been taken up from the Jordan. Joshua sets it up. 
And he said to the sons of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, what are these stones? Then you shall inform your children, saying, Israel crossed this Jordan on dry ground. Again, we come back to the personal question, and it's generational. What about these stones? Let's go back to verse 6. What about these stones, and what do they mean to you, Dad? What does it mean to you? What, what does it mean, Granddad? Can you tell me about these stones? It stokes curiosity. And you tell them, Israel crossed this Jordan on dry ground. The Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you crossed, just as the Lord your God had done to the Red Sea. The same way he parted the Red Sea when we crossed and were out of Egyptian slavery and brought to freedom. And he dried it up before us until we had crossed. Now can I just note in verse 23 that what they're to say is not, you should have seen what we did that day. Man, we, we camped right by the river. We figured out we ought to wait a couple of days and just see if things dry up a little bit. And it did. And then we went across it. And we just looked back and said, wow, look what we just did. No. God is the subject. Look what God did. He dried up the riverbed. What if God became the subject of more of our sentences, and I'm talking grammar, that God's the subject of the sentence before the noun and not us? What if today when I talk about the rain that came over Hearst, I'm not sure it went over the rest of you. I live in Hearst. God had favor on Hearst today. <laughs> but we, we received rain. It wasn't drops. We received good rain. And that's how I talk about it. God gave us rain this morning. Mother Nature didn't give us rain. God gave us rain. He's the subject. What did God do yesterday? What, what did you see God do? And just talk about it. As naturally as you talk about anything else. That's what God did. Dad, what are these stones? Oh, let me tell you about God. That's a day I'm never going to forget. Let me tell you about that. This is what God did. When the generations ask, we talk about God. And by the way, this is the first of seven stone memorials that will be set up just in Joshua. There's multiple moments that they will mark and pause on what God did. Well, this summer we did Bible study in Deuteronomy at our church, and in Deuteronomy 6, we're told that when, uh, as parents, uh, and I would say whoever has children in their midst, this is our responsibility, whether it's whatever guardian you are, or whatever grandparent you are, or parent you are, uh, and this is what we're to do in Deuteronomy 6, verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your sons and talk to them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. When do I talk about what God did? 
I talk about it when my kids wake up. I talk about it as we're walking through the day. I talk about it when they sit down. I talk about it when they stand up. I talk about it when they go to bed. But there's no question in my kids' minds by the time they go to bed, uh, God must have done something around here because that's all I'm hearing about. But, but that's what he says. You're to let them know how much God loves them and they're to love God. Verse 8, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. Uh, so there's something to be on their hand, and then there's little boxes on their forehead. Try that one as a meaningful reminder in your home. Put a box around your head. I promise your kid is going to ask you a question. Hey, Dad, why do you have the box on your forehead? Well, it's a reminder to love the Lord your God with all your mind and with all your heart. And with all your soul, and then love your neighbor the same. Got it, Dad. You can take the box off your head now. What else does he say in verse 9? He should write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Reminders everywhere. On you, on your home. Reminders of what God's done. I tried to figure out when my sons were growing up what would be a way, what would be a physical reminder of what my hope would be for them as, as men. And I bought two swords. I don't even know that they know I had them. They probably ended up being more reminders for me. And after a few years, somebody mounted them for me on a, a wood background and so I had them hanging in my office for a long time but whenever I look at those two swords I have two sons it was a reminder for me I'm praying for my boys that they'll be warriors in God's kingdom that they would wield the sword of the spirit they would love his word and they know how to wield it well warriors for him just reminders in my office. God, will you, will you do this with my boys? Will you give them a hunger and a thirst for your word, the sword of the Spirit? Let them know how to use it. Let them win in this world at the cross. Recently, as we've, so many of you have written your stories, your spiritual journeys. And so many of you have shared your written story with your kids for the first time ever. I think that's a pretty cool reminder of what God's done. Just to have your story in writing for your kids to see what God did in you. And I'm sure the creative people come up with all kinds of neat ways that you make that look cool. But the coolest piece is the content of the story. And you're not the center of the story. God is. What if we memorialized our own stories, passed it to the next generation, and that they would pass it to the generation after that? Now, oftentimes I'll talk about this, and I know it can be discouraging depending on what time of life you came into a relationship with Jesus and we can have regret because we didn't raise our kids a particular way or uh, we, we just did things in a way that we really didn't have a God focus at all. 
But there's no reason to live in that regret or that condemnation. We can only start when God starts with us and our hearts are changed and then we start to live it out from there. And God's gracious that today is the day we start if we haven't. Today is the day we continue. I was with a friend a few weeks ago and he said, uh, he said this saying and then we talked about it and I thought I hope it's not from a cult or something. We couldn't figure out where it was from. But it made a lot of sense to me. And I think it should be encouraging to parents, grandparents, whoever today. The best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The ne- apparently that gets said in Ray's house. The next best time to plant a tree is today. It's not too late. Plant the tree today. Start planting the reminders today. And move on. Another one of our staff guys has taught me. Own it. Learn from it. Move on from it. I think it's a good way to roll. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We learn. We move on. Plant the tree today. For the generations. The last thing I would say is it's not just to pass to the generations to die in your home. It's global. And that's my fourth word. For God-sized reminders that are meaningful, they're also global. Verse 24 uh, of Joshua 4. That all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Why do we have these reminders that are meaningful of what God has done? Why do we pass them down to the generations? We do it so that through the generations, then it'll go global. God is a global God. He he is for every tribe, tongue, and nation. That's who he's for. And when we see in the scriptures from beginning to end, it is all about God's name. It's all about God's glory. It's about other people's fearing the name of God. In Psalm 67, it says, God bless us. God cause His face to shine upon us. That your name might be known on the earth. Your salvation among all the nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For God will judge the peoples with uprightness. And guide the nations of the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its produce. God, our God, blesses us. God blesses us. Why? So that the ends of the earth may fear him. Why does God bless you and bless me? Not so it ends on you and ends on me. So that, not that it ends on your own generation and my own generation, but it goes through the generations and it goes global. God intended for what he did with Israel for them to be a light to all the nations. They didn't do it. But there would be one who would come out of them that would be a light for all the nations. Jesus Christ, Jesus crucified, Jesus risen. For all those who have faith in him and repent, trust him for salvation, become a child of his.
a part of that every tribe, tongue, and nation. And then we go. In Matthew 28, we're told to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. It's a, it's a global message that God has given us to be a part of. What are those things that are meaningful reminders of God's global heart? A few years ago, I went to the Bible Museum in Washington, D.C., and there was one floor, and on that floor were every translation of the Bible for all the people groups in the world that have a translation in their heart language. And then there were shelf after shelf after shelf of yellow books like this. And this is what was in them. Can you see that? If you see blank pages, you see it. Each of these Bibles had to represent a people group today that does not have God's word in their heart language. And I came back home and I asked somebody to make one for me. And this sits on my desk. Because I want to be reminded every day that not everybody can open their Bible like I can. My Bible is on my left. This is on my right. And my prayer is that the nations will all have translations of Scripture in their heart language. So they can grab their cup of coffee and read the scriptures as well. But I'm also encouraged because I also have on my desk this. And this is a translation in a heart language of an unreached people. They now have this translation through the funding of what 121 has done. And the world can have a heart for peoples to have scripture translated in their heart language. And then I have this one page of scripture as a reminder for me of how many of our brothers and sisters in Christ today do not have access to a Bible or they may have access to a Bible, but because of the places where they are so dangerous, they can just tear out a page and just trade that page around with each other. This is, this is all they can do. And I have this Arabic letter in on my desk because people in Muslim countries have been forced to paint this on their houses because that N stands for Nazareth, Jesus of Nazarene. It says you're a Christian. And they're not putting it on there so they can pass this on to the generations. They're putting it on there because they're about to be a persecuted people. And this reminds me to pray for all my persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world. You're wondering how I get any work done on my desk. <laughs> when I was in college, I went on a mission trip to Ecuador. I was in the streets of Quito up towards the mountains, and I saw a man that looked like this. And it just reminds me of all the vulnerable and oppressed all over the world. And I want my heart to stay tender towards what, who God loves. 
and that we'll continue to be a part of what God's doing across the world. My wife got this cross for me in Guatemala several years ago. I have it on my desk, and it's a reminder of me every day that at 16 years old, God totally changed the trajectory of my life through what he did on the cross and gifting me with faith to believe it. You see, if you'd have seen my room before I was 16 years old, you wouldn't see things like this in it. You'd have seen green shag carpet, a queen-size waterbed, a black light, a poster of Farrah Fawcett Majors on the ceiling, a beer can collection on the shelves, an eight-track player right in the middle of it with my grease tape ready to be played again and again. But that all changed. This is that transition moment for me. And I haven't quit being grateful for 43 years that he would be that graceful, that merciful to me. And I hope we can spread that same grace and mercy to as many as he'll allow us. One of the most meaningful things we can do as a community to tie this up is to do the Lord's Supper together. It's personal. It's for those who know Jesus. It's unifying. Because all of us together, when we take it, we're showing our unity at the foot of the cross. It's generational. Households know Jesus. It's global. Today, brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world will be taking the Lord's Supper together. The way we'll do that today... We'll have people spread all across the room with the elements. And when we think about meaningful reminders, the cup is a reminder of the shed blood of Christ, cup of the juice. And then the, the broken cracker is a reminder of the broken body of Christ. And that he voluntarily and sacrificially laid his life down on the cross. When we take it, we're doing what Jesus said in Luke, to do this in remembrance of me. So when we think of some of the most meaningful reminders that we have, it's the Lord's Supper today because it reminds us of what Christ did. It's for those who are followers of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Christ, you're contemplating that. I hope this will be a time to really wrestle that through a little bit more. Of why, why would you not follow after him? And then we want to be careful to take it in a worthy manner. According to 1 Corinthians 11, and just make sure in our hearts that there's not any unconfessed sin that we're aware of or any sin we're just kind of hanging on to and feel entitled to. Um, we all battle it. We just know today we're free uh, in Christ. So I'm going to pray and then in a moment, whenever you're ready, you feel free to go to one of these uh, people and you can get the elements. You can go back to your seats or stay off to the side. You can take together or separately, however you'd like to do it, and, uh, and then Travis will lead us in a, a song as well. Father, thank you for our time this morning. So, so appreciative of your word. And God, I pray you'll continue to just tether us to yourself. Uh, and God, I pray that 
your word itself would always be a meaningful reminder to us of you revealing yourself to us, making yourself known, and that life just rests and resides in the way you make yourself known in it. Thank you, Father, for stories that you tell us in the Old Testament you give us to encourage us and give us hope. And God, help us to know in our own homes, in our offices, our classrooms, our cars, um, whatever it is that you choose to do, will you work in us in a way that we can have really meaningful and significant reminders of moments where you just show up in ways that we couldn't even fathom. God, that would just be deeply personal for everyone before you. And that it would just stoke curiosity for kids and grandkids and nieces and nephews and friends and whoever comes into these environments. Say, what does that mean? And what does that mean to you? God, help us be ready. Say, oh, I'm glad you asked. This is what God did. I've never been the same. So, Lord, we commit these minutes to you and pray that as we take the Lord's Supper together, that you'd be honored as we reflect and think about your graciousness towards us at the cross. And I pray this in Jesus' name.